Support for this podcast comes from Outdoor Supply Hardware, inviting listeners to OSHA's big anniversary sale celebration, May 20th through the 26th, featuring daily deals, $15,000 in giveaways, 20% off store-wide on Saturday and Sunday, and a lot more. Learn more at OSH.com. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest, and I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio. It was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. From KQED. From KQBD in San Francisco, this is Forum. I'm Mina Kim. A slew of school board election losses and a recent scandal are driving speculation that the influence of Moms for Liberty is waning. But the parents' rights group that's become known for parental notification mandates and bans on books about race, sex, or LGBTQ issues has more than a dozen chapters in California and is suing Yolo County for halting one of its events. We look at what's happening with the group, whether education battles are fading as a top Republican priority, and talk with a historian about another time schools became ground zero for ideological wars in California. Join us. Welcome to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. A California Moms for Liberty chapter has sued Yolo County, alleging First Amendment violations after one of their events was halted at a library. But there are signs the broader movement, founded and based in Florida, may be declining. Moms for Liberty made a name for itself opposing school closures and masking rules at the height of the pandemic, then went on to champion book bans and curbing the teaching of race and LGBTQ issues in schools. But recent school board election losses and a scandal involving one of their founders are fueling speculation the group is imploding. We learn more and look at what history can tell us about the rise of parents' groups seeking ideological change through schools. Joining me is Kathleen Quillian, co-host of a podcast miniseries for Bedrock USA called The School Board Queen, focused on Moms for Liberty co-founder Bridget Ziegler. Kathleen, thanks so much for being with us. Yeah, good to be here, Mina. And also with us is Shani Desai, breaking news reporter for the Sacramento Bee. Ashani, glad to have you too. Thank you for having me. So Kathleen, I'll start with you. Moms for Liberty really only got started in Florida a couple of years ago. Tell us more about the group's main issues today, their rapid rise. Yeah, so they they really had a 
extremely fast rise. I mean, they spread like wildfire, but they were founded in January 2021 and in Florida, and they really only had two chapters. And they started with the foundation of just being a right wing activist group, and they wanted to uh, inject a little bit more conservative tones into the school boards in Florida. And then honestly, they just were using the pandemic as a catalyst to really spread their message further. So it started with the education and then it just went all around these cultural issues uh, that caused a lot of controversy. Um, So they started with, you know, what can we teach in school curriculum? And then uh, they went into uh, trying to get CRT out of the classroom, banning books, anything to do with LGBTQ uh and so it started really really fast and so now it started with just two chapters in florida in 2021 and now in 2023 the group says that they have about 300 chapters in 48 states and about 130,000 members so to start with just two and then just escalate pretty pretty quickly and this was in part because one of their co-founders bridget ziegler ended up being brought into a major conservative leadership institute right to do what right so she was uh headed to focus on the education for the leadership institute which would is a conservative think tank group in dc and um that would tour around and train other conservatives to run for school board and spread their message so it's (laughs) bridget ziegler is really an interesting character, which is why we focused on uh, her for Bedrock USA. So this woman has no college degree, no education background. And really, her husband came home one day in 2014 and suggested that she run for an open seat uh, in the Sarasota County School Board. And so it really was her husband, Christian Ziegler, who had been in uh, conservative politics for years. And in 2014, he just proposed that she run for this open seat. And she was actually appointed by, uh, at the time, Governor Rick Scott. So this really just, her rise happened pretty quickly. And she just has an interesting background because it just kind of seemed to come out of nowhere. But the thing about Moms for Liberty is that They are loud and extreme and passionate. And um, I mean, their slogan is that they don't co-parent with the government. And so uh, it's interesting turn of events for Bridget uh, because she started just, you know, her background was in selling uh, clothes for Gucci and didn't really come anywhere near uh, this political realm, but it happened pretty quick. Um, So also, what really helped Bridget move forward into these high roles, like the Leadership Institute, which is outside of the school board, but uh, she was, let's say, a Governor DeSantis darling. He endorsed her and saying that more women and more people need to be like her on the school board. So it's like she she really <laughs> had all of the support very, very quickly that allowed her to rise. So the group she co-founded, this backing with the Leadership Institute that flew her around to talk and train others to take over school boards and so on, ended up having a far enough reach, Ishani, decide that there are more than a dozen chapters here in California. And I know that you've been covering a clash between the group and a public library in Davis um, as an example of the kind of 
the the kind of impact that Mamas for Liberty has had. First, could you tell us what happened in Davis? Yeah, absolutely. So throughout 2023, the local chapter Moms for Liberty held a series of events at a local library, just talking about issues that were that they were really passionate about. Um, and nothing really happened until about August of last year. Um, towards the end, they hosted this event called Safe and Safe Sports for Girls. They were talking about transgender youth um, being involved in college af- or college athletics and school athletics. There was a speaker at that event. Her name was Sophia Lori. Um, she works for the California Family Council, and she called transgender females biological males. Those comments prompted a lot of backlash from protesters who were there. Um, and it also prompted a library official to ask Sophia to stop talking or to leave and kind of basically shut down the event. This interaction between Sophia and the library official was all filmed on social media, or it was all filmed and then put on social media. It was put on um, X, uh, formerly known as Twitter, and it gained a lot of views. Uh, Soon after that, uh, after the story was picked up by national media and conservative outlets, the library itself, which is run by the county, and the local school district, the Davis Joint Unified School District, began to receive a whole bunch of bomb threats. So um, following that event at the end of August, there were six bomb threats in about a month. Um, And it just sort of prompted all of this kind of fear in the community and just sort of wondering of what's going on, why is this happening so often as well. Uh, Police haven't announced any arrests into that bomb threat, um, and it sort of has kind of remained unresolved, um, at least criminally. Yes, it it wreaked a lot of havoc. I understand that uh, some of the teachers and other officials were were docs, meaning their personal information was also put out there. So there was a lot of fear for people's personal safety in that incident as well. Now there is a lawsuit by that California chapter of Moms for Liberty. Can you just tell us a little bit more about that, what they're alleging? Yeah, absolutely. So basically, the same Moms for Liberty, the California Family Council, um, and a series of other different organizations, some based in D.C., have said that the library could not or or should not have shut down the event, basically violated their First Amendment rights. Um, They they claim that the library is a public space um, and essentially the government cannot allow speakers that only side with their point of view to be allowed to speak in that library. And so um, there's the lawsuit is still pending. There hasn't been a resolution, but they, they've sort of begun to actually draw this one controversy into the criminal courts, civil courts, excuse me. Well, we have listeners joining the conversation, and let me tell you, you can by emailing forum at kqed.org, finding us on our social channels at KQED Forum, or giving us a call at 866-733-6786, 866-733-6786. Have you or your school district experienced being caught up in the education culture war, something like what Ishani Desai is describing? Um, are you a member of your local PTA or school board? What has your experience been like? Have you 
been asked to talk about, think about issues of curriculum or speech and how were they addressed? Steve on Discord writes, what do you do when parents' opinions are in conflict? Like when a gay couple wants family with two dads books in the classroom or library and Moms for Liberty wants them out? What do you do with Holocaust denialists who deny the basic historical facts? Potentially, some of those questions will be addressed in the lawsuit legally in terms of the legal claim of of what you can do in public spaces, public schools related to what's being said or shared there. And we've been seeing similar conflicts between Moms for Liberty and other groups or local offshoots in California playing out. We saw AG Rob Bonta suing the Chino Valley Unified School District over parental notification policies. There are initiatives restricting protections for transgender minors that are being proposed right now that groups are collecting signatures for in hopes of getting them on the November 2024 ballot. So there's a lot happening here in California. But Kathleen, I'm struck by the fact that there have been a lot of headlines that say nationally the influence of Moms for Liberty has taken a hit. Can you just quickly explain what these articles are pointing to? Yeah, I would say that uh, they have taken a a bit of a hit compared to um, where where they began and why some of their uh, influences start to wane a bit. I mean, we have them littered with a bit of controversy, which I, which I can get into in a little bit. But, um, you know, Moms for Liberty, their chapters are dissolving due to lack of interest and they're losing a bit. They're losing big school board races. So in 2023, Moms for Liberty said, 43% of 202 candidates they endorsed won their school board election. And then the organization said, you know, in 2022, the group endorsed 500 candidates with the 55% winning election. So we've seen quite a drop in who's winning. And um, so it seems that also we're having some serious opposition. So you're having different grassroots movements go and protest um you know, Moms for Liberty, and we're having more organizations try to stand up. I also find what's interesting, too, um, is, you know, the students really getting involved of pushing back against Moms for Liberty. Um, So we saw a viral video from uh, a a Sarasota student, Xander Morzik, um, and he pretty much told uh, co-founder Bridget Ziegler, Moms for Liberty, uh, and public comment that she should be fired from her job due to this uh, scandal. And um, he works with a nonprofit, uh, Social Equity hmm. Through Education Alliance, and that's an organization that's founded and run by F- Floridian youth. So I think that now, uh, you know, the pandemic is waning, these culture wars are still very much alive, but the fire that really made this group spread nationally is starting to 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 wane a little bit yeah and we should note that that bridget ziegler scandals that she told police she and her husband had a consensual affair with another woman a woman who's accused ziegler's husband of sexual assault we'll have more about mom's liberty after the break i'm mina kim support for forum comes from san francisco opera Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. 
Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. You're listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. We're taking a closer look at what's happening with Moms for Liberty, whether education battles are continuing to have an effect here in California, whether or not they're waning is a top priority for the Republican Party, and with that, maybe the group's power. We're talking with Kathleen Quillian, podcast producer and co-host of the school board queen. And we want to hear from you, our listeners. Are you a student or parent whose school district has been caught in the education culture wars? Tell us about it. Has your school asked for consent around teaching certain materials? What were they? Are you a member of your local PTA or school board? What has your experience been like? What questions do you have about what you're hearing from Kathleen Quillian? Earlier, we also heard from Ashani Desai about the situation in Davis, a breaking news reporter with the Sacramento Bee, and I want to thank Ashani for coming on. I'm breaking into the conversation now, Michelle Nickerson, a historian and author of Mothers of Conservatism. Michelle, thanks so much for joining us. Hi, it's good to be here. Interestingly, a listener on Discord writes, I wanted to mention a very good book called Mothers of Massive Resistance. It's about how in the 1950s, in a very conservative part of the country, a large number of women defied traditional sex roles and the men in their lives learned how to do political action and found sisterhood in it and worked tirelessly toward their, quote, their heartfelt goal, which was to keep African-American children out of white schools and, quote, in their place reality isn't made out of uncomplicated stories. I don't know if you're familiar with that book, but it sounds a little bit like a a similar or a historical analog to to what you researched with regard to groups that may remind you of Moms for Liberty today that were active in the 1950s. First, can you just remind us what were some of the key things that were going on in that time and what was top of mind for people Uh, in terms of concerns about how the country was shifting? Sure. Uh, First, I also would like to endorse that book. (laughs) (laughs) It's fantastic. And you're absolutely right. It has a lot in common um, with what we're talking about today and what I did in my book. But uh, I'll start by saying, first, um, what happened in the period that I investigate, mostly the 1950s and 1960s, is eerily familiar. So much of the same language that we hear from Moms for Liberty uh, was uh, very relevant back then in the time of anti-communism. What was different back then is that the nation was in the midst of the Red Scare. Um, Also, you know, it was right after World War II and um, we were seeing the emergence of the Southern freedom struggle. Uh, this really important iteration of civil rights in the United States. And um, women who organized together in local organizations, I study Southern California, but this was happening really in every metro region around the country, started uh, their own groups to protest uh, the content that they saw developing in their schools And they did it in the name of parental rights. They used that word. And um, they focused on their local school boards, local school districts. And um, they saw themselves as a force for patriotism. 
So what exactly were they associating that was happening in the schools as being communistic? Like what connections were they drawing? And I, I really think that's important how you say it. It is the connections that they were drawing. Um, basically, they saw anything that was progressive or liberal, not just in terms of education methods, um, but also socially speaking, they saw it as communistic. Um, desegregation in particular hmm. made them very afraid, and they refused to believe that um, the civil rights movement was started and led by African-Americans. Um, their assumption was that communists and socialists were the people who were putting these ideas into the heads of black people and causing um, intense social disruption for the purposes of revolution. You say that they were quite defensive, too, if anyone ever called them out as being racist in their yes. opposition to the civil rights movement. Yes. Um, if you remember, you know, we're just coming out of World War II. And so racism was becoming increasingly abhorrent to most Americans because of Hitler and the final solution. People did not want to imagine themselves as racist. Um, you know, this was uh, the period of the American creed and um, intense pluralism and acceptance. And so, um, yes, even people on the right, conservatives, just would not acknowledge that there was anything racist about opposing desegregation. And then can you say more about their concerns around mental health? Oh, yeah. So um, the whole field of what we call mental health, as we know it today, emerges in big part after World War II. And I won't get into the details about the impact of the war, but uh, people, I should say, the psychological community was shifting their attention from treatment of mentally ill people to promotion of mental health among healthy people. And conservatives saw this as dangerous. They, they were very suspicious because they thought what doctors meant and liberals meant by mental health was liberalism. Um, and part of this also was a new concept that comes out of uh, the, you know, the fight against communist Russia and China, and that is brainwashing. Brainwashing was this new way of understanding how communism infected people's brains and infected society. It came out of the communist re-education camps of um, mostly the Korean War. And so uh, people on the right came to see liberal ideas and progressive ideas as being a form of brainwashing. And they saw anti-racist education and desegregation and civil rights as being a form of brainwashing. Mm -hmm. um, and that's how they came to see it as um, part of the emerging mental health regime. Um, and they, they actually grew quite paranoid that they themselves would be put into mental health institutions for their political beliefs. So how did the fight against these things take root in Southern California and who championed it? Like who is maybe the equivalent to Bridget Ziegler? Um, well, there are a few of them. And uh, so it takes root around Los Angeles in the affluent suburbs um, of Los Angeles County and Orange County 
Um, in particular, I think Pasadena is probably where you saw it at its peak um, because these suburbs grew and um, attracted a great deal of affluence and um, people who migrated there and um, were part of the expanding uh, military industrial complex, the industry around that. And um, you had many very intelligent wives and mothers who had some sort of college education or more, and they were very focused on raising their children in the 1950s. That's what people did. There was incredible enthusiasm for home life, for um, for schools, for neighborhoods, etc. And um, I, I really do think in any other period, uh, these women would have been at work um, in jobs, but they sort of were so focused on schools that it became uh, a natural way for them to perceive everything that was happening through the minds of their children. And um, they, you know, you have these new uh, webs of highways that are connecting them and their organizations to each other. They're publishing newsletters and um, it enables them to become very forceful. And the, the equivalent of Ziegler, um, one of them that I might point out, was a woman by the name of Jane Crosby. And Crosby really, she never held any official office, but she was incredibly forceful in uh, the growing Republican Party that was becoming a national force in that period. Um, she led several organizations and wrote in newsletters and joined the John Birch Society and um, played an instrumental role in what became known as the conservative movement in this period. Wow. We're talking about Moms for Liberty and the history of similar parent movements in California with Michelle Nickerson, a historian and author of Mothers of Conservatism. We're also talking with Kathleen Quillian, podcast producer and co-host of The School Board Queen, which actually Kathleen is getting a shout out from Martina on Discord, who writes, Bedrock USA from Bloomberg had a great three-part series on the conservative takeover of school boards in Florida and the history of this specifically pointing back to Orange County and the anti-communist, anti-sex ed roots of seeking parental control over what's taught in schools. I highly recommend. Thanks, Martina, for that. Let me go also to caller Claire in Walnut Creek. Claire, you're on. Hi, thanks so much for this topic. Um, Your guests have touched on part of this, but I wonder if they could address um, Moms for Liberty's association with Christian nationalists and um, white supremacist groups. Mm. Uh, CDF, which is uh, Mike Flynn, and um, ADF, which is on the uh, Southern Poverty Law Center's hate group. Thanks, Claire. I'll I'll take it off. Yeah. Okay, great. Uh, Kathleen, could you speak to Amparal's association with Christian nationalist groups, as Claire is mentioning? Uh, uh, Yes, Uh, they have... Even Bridget Ziegler her, herself has been a uh, photo evidence of her taking a picture with uh, a Proud Boy member and then also posing with uh, the alt-right uh, uh, hand symbol. So there is uh, evidence of them being linked to Proud Boys. Um, and then, uh, um, you know, several months, another chapter in Indiana quoted 
from uh, Adolf Hitler in their inaugural newsletter. And, um, you know, they had uh, months of denying their connection with these uh, with these groups. But um, now we're seeing uh, months later more uh, evidence come to light. So there is proven evidence of being connected to these uh, hate And groups. Kathleen, Martina also mentioned sex ed as a major issue that was animating uh, groups, especially back in the 1950s. Can you speak to this a little bit about what the concerns were around sex education and how it was being taught in schools? Oh, yes. So definitely, um, just as uh, it is today, (laughs) a very hot button topic, it was back then. So the idea of even bringing uh, such topic uh, into the schools was terrifying. It all stems from fear of of the new, which is what we're seeing in, uh, in all forms of history, you know, back uh, in the Red Scare, now into um, into fears of sex ed, and um, and even now today with LGBTQ uh, um, rhetoric in the classroom. So yeah, so back in the 50s, there was a serious, serious fear of this infiltrating um, and it's interesting because the idea of sex ed back then was really called um, focused on cleanliness and grooming and had nothing to do with sex ed into the classrooms. And the idea of, you know, how can women be the best wife? And that was the idea of sex ed infiltrating the classrooms. And there was a serious fear of anything coming in and it never really came to fruition. So it, it was, it's a connection of just the fear of the new and the unknown um, that we're seeing back in history starting to repeat itself uh, over and over again. And Michelle, do you have anything to add about what your research uncovered about whether the sex education backlash also played a role in empowering more conservative groups um, and also their influence on the Republican Party? Sure. Um, I would just add that um, in addition to the fear of the new, um, there is the, the belief that all of this comes from a centralized state, that um, the belief that ordinary Americans, which it's really important that we understand how they see themselves as representatives of the ordinary. It's a, it's a populist worldview. We are the people. And these other ideas, these new ideas, come from elites, um, whether they, they're elites at universities or elites in government. In any case, they believe that these ideas are coming from other people who want to control us. Um, and I, I can't underscore enough how, what do I put this? This is an ongoing theme in American history and the way Americans see themselves as different from the rest of the world. It's it's in this, this version of populism. We're talking about the struggle for control over classrooms and the history of it in California. And, and you, our listeners, are joining with your questions, comments, experiences at 866-733-6786 by emailing forum at kqed.org or finding us on our social channels at KQED Forum on Twitter or X, Instagram or our digital community on Discord. This listener tweets, a friend of mine, age 78, recently refused to retire from the upstate New York school board he served on just so he could continue his efforts to stave off the onslaught of Moms for Liberty doctrine. Michelle, have you found 
left-wing or progressive parent group counterparts uh, that have used sort of similar tools and tactics to try to create change in education policy in schools? Um, well, I certainly see many local uh, level organizations that work hard um, to push an alternative set of policies. Like right here in Chicago, um, there's organizations called like Raise Your Hand and numerous anti-racist organizations and um, groups that actually provide uh, sex education in schools. Um, and so I feel like there's a very robust, probably even stronger organizational network of people who are um, who are there to promote progressive ideas. I'm not surprised at all um, what we've heard about the pushback against Moms for Liberty, um, because I think what they did is, especially coming out of the pandemic, they woke up um, a lot of people um, with respect to the the attention, and by I mean progressives. Um, about what has to happen at the grassroots level. Um, can I respond to an earlier comment about the Proud Boys? Yeah, sure. Okay. So one of the things I've found, and I, I'm, I'm curious uh, what Kathleen would say about this, is um, while I think we do see definite um, overlap between these movements of Christian nationalism and Moms for Liberty, um, I, I guess... I, part of me really wants to caution us um, with, with any, how do I put this, guilt by association. Um, I really do think that Bridget Ziegler and other people um, who, you know, flash the, the signals and stand by the flags. I mean, I think we can see the ways in which um, they stand in both of these camps but I, I, I hesitate to put all, everyone who associates with Moms for Liberty into that category. We're talking with Michelle Nickerson, who's written Mothers of Conservatism, a historian and author, also Kathleen Quillian, podcast producer and co-host of The School Board Queen. We're talking about Moms for Liberty and the history of similar parent movements in California and also their influence in California and whether or not it is waning as the national group is embroiled in scandal or also as we're seeing school board elections not going their way as frequently as they have in the past. You, our listeners, are weighing in with your questions or comments at 866-733-6786 on our social channels and our email address, forum at kqed.org. Pete tweets, the last thing we need are ignorant ideologues involving themselves in school curriculum, which should be formulated by learned and qualified and less religiously dogmatic individuals. More after the break. I'm Mina Kim. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. 
We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. We're talking this hour about groups trying to control our classrooms, the struggle for it that is going on and playing out here in California with groups like Moms for Liberty. We're also seeing that there is historical precedent for these kinds of fights with Michelle Nickerson, a historian and author, Kathleen Quillian, a podcast producer and co-host of the miniseries, The School Board Queen, part of Bedrock USA. And you, our listeners, are weighing in with your questions, comments, and experiences around this. Debbie writes, for example, when and how did teaching about slavery and the Civil War in grade school start being called critical race theory? Isn't CRT a postgraduate study? Celeste writes, I grew up in Orange County in the 1960s, and I really appreciate the mention of the connection between that period and the issues of today raised by Moms for Liberty. The whole fight against CRT, which has just become a term to include all the old and current fears of anything that isn't white Christian nationalist beliefs, your discussion is invaluable. What are the animating issues of this time, Kathleen, that you you found really being what drove some of the concerns? You do mention that in many ways, Bridget Ziegler was sort of, I don't know, kind of accidentally put into this role of leader because of her charisma and her husband's influence and encouraging her to join a school board. But what were some of the key issues? You know, was it the the reaction to the murder of, of George Floyd, for example, that created concern? Um, I would definitely say that was a huge concern. And that also kind of thrust her into the spotlight because she um, shared a, a video uh, from Brain Pop, which is an, or- an organization that shares educational videos. And it was uh, a video describing uh, what happened to George Floyd, but, um, you know, for students of that age, of elementary school age, and a really, really hard topic to discuss. And uh, Brain Pop put out an excellent video of really how to handle that. And uh, Bridget shared the video and on her personal Facebook and said that it was being passed around in classrooms. And this made national headlines because it never was played in the classroom and it had to be through parental consent to see this video. But, um, Hmm. you know, for people in Sarasota, they just saw that um, this was being taught to their children without their consent, but that was in fact not true at all. And <clears throat> and I think she really um, just jumped on the uh, the rhetoric of the anti wokeness is what her website would say, hmm. and um, anything having to do with that. And so I think it just um, they use this uh, this rhetoric to just. Uh, it, fight their cause and make it very loud and go very, very far. And I think that was a huge part of it as well. And that also, um, you know, when we spoke to Bridget, when we flew down there in Sarasota, it really did seem 
on top of um, George Floyd and fears that CRT was going to be taught to elementary school students. Also, you have her being a huge champion of the uh, Parental Rights Act being passed in Florida. I mean, she helped Governor Ron DeSantis write this legislature, and it's uh, the nickname of the Don't Say Gay Bill in Florida. Um, And so that was a huge, uh, Hmm. you know, concern as well to her. And huge part of her platform which is also why elephant in the room she's this huge scandal going on that um her husband was being investigated for sexual assault and that she did confirm that she had a consensual they had a consensual relationship a year prior with another woman so the hypocrisy of it all really um has started to to uh wane <laughs> support for moms for for liberty yeah. Um, but yes, I would say that it's it's the issues of um, that early uh, rhetoric of anti-wokeness, of LGBTQ, um, and it, she really did have a concern when we met with her that um, transgender students was, being transgender was a form of social contagion, and mm. she stood by that statement. And um, so she really was passionate about that fear and doing anything she could uh, to make it out of the classroom and, you know, uh, waiting that support for any LGBTQ groups, which which in our research and when we were down in Sarasota, we found that the legislature was so uh, convoluted and, and um, threatening that a lot of these groups, these LGBTQ groups in high schools just dissolved because they were too scared to continue their support for their students. Mm. So well, it's really just heartbreaking. We have listeners Sarah and Ian writing about more fallout. Sarah and Ian write, we're the authors of several books, including Jacob's New Dress. In the last two years, we've been banned in over 20 states led by Florida. We've had public speaking events canceled, librarians afraid to market our events, and events where we've been assigned an armed security guard. What's most disturbing about the events caused by Moms for Liberty is that librarians and teachers are afraid for their jobs and worse, afraid to go to work. Elliot on Discord writes, it's frustrating that the extreme right wing has this playbook of infiltrate and undermine that they repeat everywhere. And we still haven't mustered any sort of defense against that. Schools, Congress, Twitter, it's all the same playbook. Michelle, you've been talking about how you are actually seeing evidence of a defense around that. But I do hear Elliot's frustration. I do frequently hear even people within the Democratic Party saying that, you know, they are just not nearly as ideologically coherent or as as disciplined as their right wing counterparts. Would you say that is true? Um, I would say that they are, it is true to the extent that um, they're not as ideologically coherent, I guess is the way I would put it in the sense that moms for Liberty, um, and the, the attacks on quote wokeness, um, seem to have, uh, momentum now and a, a shared belief among figures on the right activists about what that is. And that, that, those activists on the right, what we might think of as the equivalent, or excuse me, on the left, um, progressives are more disparate, fighting different battles, not as organized. But I, I actually think there's strength in that. 
um, and and six and possibilities, more possibilities for success there. Because mm. when you assume the moral high ground to the extent of Moms for Liberty and Bridget Ziegler, then what happens is that it's so easily toppled, right, by a scandal like this because it exposes hypocrisy um, and it shows that the emperor has no clothes. Um, and so th I think this is one reason why that organization in particular has lost power. Um, and I think we still have yet to see who really does have more influence in schools overall. Hmm. I mean, we are hearing, and rightly so, so much about um, these right-wing attacks on so-called CRT um, and social emotional learning. Um, but what it also underscores is how successful those programs have been. And I'm not talking about the success of CRT. I'm, I'm talking about the success of anti-racism education. I, I think that um, there is a, there's a, a, a sense of insecurity that it exhibits on the right. Well, Anoush writes, I work for a largely volunteer nonprofit in Davis, and our organization has been at the forefront of pushing back against Moms for Liberty's assault on our schools, our educators, and our library, which has resulted in multiple bomb threats. Our advantage has been our deep roots in the community and our grassroots work. The, quote, moms, many of them are not moms and do not have children in the district. They cannot cast us as out-of-touch elites because we are so tied into the community. I'm not surprised to hear that. Let me go to Lawrence in Berkeley. Lawrence, you're on. Yeah, hi. I, I have, well, two related questions. First of all, where does their money come from, you know, the Moms for Liberty people? And second, uh, is there a possibility that Moms for Liberty and other right-wing groups have money from a common source or common sources? Hmm. Kathleen? Yeah, so a lot of their money does come from um, these big time uh, think tank and conservative organizations in D.C. And they're getting big uh, donations from other political uh, right wing political members, even though, you know, they're not uh, they say that they are not a political group, but uh, it definitely makes it seem like they are. Um, so they are getting these big donations um, from super PACs and um, also constantly running, uh, donations. And also they have a national summit, uh, that they garner a lot of money from, uh, last year they had their, uh, national summit in Philadelphia where, uh, Donald Trump was a speaker. Nikki Haley was a speaker. Ron DeSantis was a speaker and they brought in, um, a lot of money that way. Cause you do have to pay to attend. Um, and so, uh, yeah, their money comes from, uh, all sorts, all sorts of, of places and avenues. It's interesting in preparing for this, I, I read a piece in The Atlantic about the scandal that Bridget Ziegler is embroiled in. And I was struck by this line, even Moms for Liberty's influence may have peaked for now, given some recent failures in school board elections. But what isn't waning is the influence of the group's behind them. And so I think that's notable, though we are talking about maybe this particular group uh, experiencing some setbacks, whether it is it is still the apparatus behind them that is still doing 
quite well. Michelle, I just want to ask you, what happened with the contingent of Pasadena moms, for example, or Orange County moms? How did their movement kind of die out? Well, first of all, I want to point out that unlike Moms for Liberty, they were never, they never understood themselves and represented themselves as a movement of, quote, moms. They mostly operated behind the scenes of other organizations, um, like, for example, the Pasadena School Development Council. They, they called these organizations by um, names that didn't mention their gender identity or parental identity. Um, like they were names like Pro-America, uh, this, the American Public Relations Forum. And so what, the, what happened is they were absorbed into the conservative movement, which mm-hmm. was forming at this time. They became active in national as well as local politics. So in many ways, it's not as if they disappeared. It's just that they and the rest of the nation turned their attention to other issues as the 1960s came upon them, like the, like the Vietnam War, for example. Well, we're talking to Michelle Nickerson and Kathleen Quillian about Moms for Liberty and the history of similar movements, even examples in California. And I want to remind listeners that this is a fundraising period for many public radio stations. You are listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. A listener on Discord writes, I think the conservative movement has explicitly modeled their activism on the liberal activism, civil rights, environmentalism of the 60s and 70s. Then the liberals dialed it back and rested on their laurels. Another listener on Discord writes, I think the role of parents in deciding what is taught in school should be in two parts. They should have no control at all over the basics, reading, writing, critical thinking, how science is done, history, etc. As for everything else, their control should start very high for younger pupils, four and five, and relax to not for older students who will soon be making contracts, joining the military, and will not have legal claim on their parents' support. Michelle, I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about why schools are such fertile ground for where concerns, ideological concerns play out? I think because um, uh, not just Americans, I think people the world over see the future in schools um, and, you know, what's happening uh, between grades K through 12 um, concerns uh, where the nation is going. I think it's also because um, schools are places where people can see very directly and right in front of them where politics plays out. It's where they have, um, where people have their own hands in uh, in politics, they might not be able to control the Republican Party um, or the Democratic Party, but they can um, play a role in what decisions are made in the school board. Most, un- unlike Chicago, most school boards are locally elected. Um, most people live near the people that they put into school boards. Um, and so it's a it's an intensely local, hands-on way of um, acting political. Hmm. Let me go to caller Neil in Menlo Park. Neil, you're on. Yeah, the, the final comment was very good in terms of the schools being a reflection of 
are political. And my, my question for the group is uh, the extent to which Moms for Liberty put aside whatever peccadillos they have in their personal lives is tapping into a notion that the, the quote-unquote left, which I traditionally considered myself, has gone too far. And I think about things in the classroom in the Bay Area right now, what's going on with things like uh, the Liberated Ethnic Studies program and the content that comes or is coming out of that, including in some of the Bay Area high schools. And also, um, I haven't fully fact-checked my articles, but the Hayward Unified School District just having a, a fiasco about hiring the quote-unquote woke kindergarten consultants for its school. So the notion that um, in the effort to progress, uh, no, no, what's the word? Yeah, progressive. To progress, maybe the progressives have gone too far mm. and we're losing what I'll call the historical left uh, on that front. So mm. that's my comment. Michelle, curious about your thoughts on that in terms of the left going too far, maybe inviting some of these attacks and you know whether they do really need to do some soul searching. Um, well, I don't know that it's like, I don't know that I would call for soul searching. I mean, I think what's happening in the Bay area, um, is not necessarily reflective of what's happening around the rest of the country, Hmm. but I do think that conservatives have successfully kind of focused their on attention, their attention on these particular regions as a way, um, to scare the rest of the nation uh, about what could possibly happen in schools. And um, it just, I feel like it brings us back continually to this idea that somehow these changes don't come from within the school districts. Like it's this, this insistence that the ideas come from other places um, come from elite academics and people who want to somehow manipulate our children. Um, and so it's a, it's a motif that we hear um, decade after decade, decade, and um, it's, it's pretty helpful in advancing social movements. I don't know how successful it's really been in shaping policy at the local level, at least in, in the long term. A lot that you're leaving us to think about. Thank you so much, Michelle Nickerson, for coming on and giving us this historical context. My pleasure. Michelle Nickerson, again, author of Mothers of Conservatism, a historian who looked at uh, a parent movement in California. Also, Kathleen Quillian, thanks so much for being with us as well. Thank you so much, Mina. The miniseries is called The School Board Queen. Kathleen Quillian is a podcast producer for Bedrock USA. And my thanks to Ishani Desai, who earlier came on to share what was happening specifically in Davis and Yolo County. Thank you as well to Francesca Fenzi for producing today's segment. And as always, to our listeners for sharing their questions, their comments, and, and their experience. So valuable to the conversation. You've been listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Funds for the production of KQED's Forum are provided by the John S. and James L. Knight Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, the Germanicos Foundation, and the Heising Simons Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. 
Set ten years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.